Welcome to Christian Faith Center. We're a church that meets in multiple locations. If you'd like to know more about our church, just head to our website, experiencecfc.com. Thanks for joining us. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. Welcome to week one of Hot Summer Sundays. Welcome to Christian Faith Center. How many excited to be worshiping Jesus on Independence Day? You look good. I hope if you found out you have a seat brother or a seat sister, you were gracious to them. Because it's also known as First Come, First Serve Sundays. Come on, somebody. But we are so glad that you're here, so fired up for what Jesus is going to do. You know, even in the summer, our God is a God that wants to move on the lives of his people. And so we were so excited to see all that God did across our campuses in the month of June. Do you know, we saw hundreds of people make decisions for Jesus. We baptized 65 people in water in June. And how many would just believe that God would do even greater things in July? Come on, somebody. And so... We just want to welcome you, and we want to welcome all of our Christian Faith Center campuses joining us by live stream right now. Come on, Nampa, give it up for Caldwell, for Boise, for Oroville, for Slavic, for online. We're so glad to have you with us, and uh, I don't want to take any more time, but just say, hey, these are going to be exciting Sundays for the month of July at 10 a.m., and we're going to snap back to our normal service times in August And we're kicking off Hot Summer Sundays with a bang. I have a new friend that is here with a word from heaven for us today. When I met Dr. Jeffrey Portman, he was pastoring a church outside of Seattle that was running like 72 campuses. No, I'm kidding. They had like five campuses, Uh, but they were only like six years old. So, I mean, they were planted this church with multiplication in their heart. They're taking over areas of their city. They were gritty and faith-filled. And I came back and I told our team, I said, guys, their church feels like our church about five or six years ago. And so just excited about what God was doing up in the Seattle area. And then about a year ago, Dr. Jeffrey Portman was shoulder tapped by the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God to champion the executive director role of the Church Multiplication Network, which is the church planting arm of the Assemblies of God. And if you've been a part of our church for any length of time, you know we love church planters. We believe that the local church, come on, is the hope of every community and the hope of the world. And so we're just so excited and so honored to have the man, the myth, the legend, Dr. Jeffrey Portman in the house with us to bring the word of God. Come on, give it up better than that. All campuses. Show him some love. Thank you. No. Excited stay, to have stay, you. Stay for one second. It is incredibly rare when I stand next to someone and feel like a junior high boy. So, honor you, Jordan. Well, what's going on? I'm going to pull this over here. Listen, you have a fun church with a serious mission. That's what you are. You're a fun church. Don't you feel it? Aren't you glad you're here today? But you have a serious mission. And I love that I get to be a tiny part of it. You know, your pastors uh, are friends, and I love the heart they have for people who have yet to find hope in Christ. And you all know this, your church exists for people who aren't here yet. Let that sink in for a second, because sometimes we can think church is all about me. Your church exists for people who are not here yet. Now, what happens when they're here 
and those who call this place home, you matter. But we're on mission to bring the good news of the gospel to people who feel like their lives are over, rejected. They went too far. They didn't go far enough. And they think that they forfeited God's favor. I love this, this phrase, loving people to life. You're part of something special. And I just want to say thank you for being here today. Listen, to Oroville, to uh, Caldwell, to our Slavic, to the Boise, to the online, and to here in Nampa, God is up to something at this church. I want you to say, I want you to hear this from me. Um, you're part of one of the leading churches in the nation. And it's like, it's like a fish in the water. You don't see it because you live there. But I'm telling you, I, I'm across the country every week, and you're part of something that is shaping eternity. Pastor Jordan and Amanda, we honor you. We thank God for you. You guys are a joy to be with, but you're also about the gospel, uh, and that's a faith-filled journey. And we just say thank you. Pastor Jordan has been a voice in, in CMN, helping shape and train pastors across our nation. He spoke at our last gathering from uh, churches across the nation, our CMN conference, and we say thank you for the voice you, you bring to that. So listen, y'all ready for the word of God today? Okay. I, I uh, occasionally am in places and it's like, listen, if you can't preach here, you have issues. This is one of those places. This is good stuff. Well, hey, I want to introduce my family. They're not able to travel, of course, uh, often with me. My wife does uh, periodically, but she's home right now. She texts me this morning. Everywhere, wherever God opens a door for me across the street or around the world to minister, I text them and I say, would you pray for me? Because in my weakness... May God be strong, but I'm also wanting to be the best I can. And so our, our family, our sons, uh, our daughter-in-laws, my wife texts back. So they've already prayed for you. But this is my family right here, uh, right there. That's Joanne in the middle. We've been married 28 years, 28 legally. So that's just kidding. <laughs> it's, they're all legal. All 28 years are legal. Uh, 27 happy. That's a good ratio. If you're married, you don't... You're like, have you written a book yet? We're working on that, okay? That's a good ratio, right? Uh, but we have two sons, and I'm so sorry. I don't have a current picture of our daughter-in-loves with them, which I know that's on me. But uh, on the right there, that's Josiah. We call him man-child, and, and he'd be kind of almost as big as Jordan, right? Uh, Josiah, and he's getting married in September. We're so excited. And we told him, because we love his fiance. we said, you messed this up, we're keeping her, you're out of here. So he's, he's, he's going to lock that down. One more, we'll throw that up real quick. And on the left there, that's Justice. And Justice is uh, our oldest son. So Justice is 25, Josiah is 22. Justice and his wife, Brittany, are youth pastors at our hub campus, New Hope, outside of Seattle. And so they send their greetings today. They send their love to you guys. And uh, my family is my most important ministry. And we, we have a burden for the world, but what matters most is what happens at home. I can't talk about them a lot because you can tell. Are there cats up here? Because I'm allergic to cats, and I don't know if that's what's causing the tears, but um, let's, 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 uh, let's jump into the Word of God. We're going we're gonna to land in Matthew 18, but Jesus, the greatest communicator in the history of the world, right? Fully God, fully man. He, he gathered a bunch of people on this hillside, and we know it now as the Sermon on what? The Mount, okay? It's Matthew 5, verse 1, all the way to Matthew 7, verse 29. And basically what he's laying out is, what does it look like for someone to live for, for him in a country that doesn't? 
What does it look like to be all in in following Jesus? What does it look like to, to, to live God, our lives God's way rather than our way? And isn't that this journey we're on of, of unlearning some of the patterns, breaking some of the chains that have held us and walking Jesus's way? Well, he begins to teach and preach. Maybe you've read before the, the Beatitudes, and it's basically these principles, these eight principles that, that if you engage in these, if you practice these, there'll be a ripple effect in your life. There'll be a domino that gets pushed over where your life goes to places it couldn't otherwise. A reap what you say principle. And Jesus says this in Matthew 16. He says, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, me describe heaven. Perfect, sinless, pain-free, sorrow-free. There's no conflict. There's no, no one cut you off in traffic. Everything is good. And God says, you're not quite there, but that's our objective. And what does it look like for us to bring heaven to earth? To show the goodness and the grace of God and the, the transformational power of God to our coworker, our classmate. Jesus prays this and he teaches them to pray. Lord, let your will be, what, let your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And then one of the principles he lays out in, in Matthew chapter 5 verse 7 he says this, blessed are, and blessed means more than, right, beyond necessary. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. But I, I, I thinking about the first time I heard the word mercy was uh, in elementary school. And, and one of my buddies like, hey, c- come here. And we locked fingers like this. And then we tried to break each other's hands, basically, right? So you would try to bend. Go ahead, do that with your neighbor. Just kidding, okay? But you would like try to bend. And the only thing that would cause the, the, the battle to stop, the only thing that would cause the fight to, to finish was when one of the people, and it was always the losing person, would say this, mercy, mercy. And here's what simple definitions. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. But mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. We're busted. We've earned pain, sorrow, hurt. But the goodness of God surpasses that. He says, I'm giving you mercy. So when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. So if I have mercy, they'll receive mercy, he says. And sometimes we can get stuff out of order, can't we? Like, God, I expect this, I need this. And he's like, and I've set principles in place that when you lean in, I lean back. When you give mercy, you get mercy. Well, we see a picture 13 chapters later. If we were to fast forward in scripture, we see a beautiful story of what mercy looks like when it's lived out. Jesus was a storyteller. And Peter asked this question. This is Matthew 18. And Peter asked this question. He says, Lord, you know how you're in a conversation and you know the answer to the question you're about to ask, so you kind of set yourself up to sound smart? None of us. Okay, I've done that before. Um, But Peter asked this question. Hey, Lord, how many times should I forgive somebody? And then before Jesus could even answer, the redeemer of the world, the creator of the universe, the only hope for humanity, before that guy could answer, Peter, (laughs) Peter answers his own question. So he's like, hey, how many times should I forgive someone when they sin against me? And then he's thinking his answer is like excessive and like super gracious and merciful. He's like, seven times? Because <laughs> you know this is true. Like the third time someone does you wrong, you're like, the fourth time, you're like, this is the fourth time. 
And so Peter's like, I'm going to double three and add one. Seven times? And he's, exp- <laughs> I, I don't know, but I just read in the scripture. I'm, I think he's expecting Jesus to call all the other disciples over and say, guys, listen, did you hear Peter? Did you hear how faith-filled and gracious and merciful? Wow, Peter, you should be doing my job, right? I mean, I think Peter's thinking that, but here's the reality. Jesus's response was very, by the way, his response set Peter back. His response was um, not what he was expecting. And here's what he says. No, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now for the math whizzes, and so you don't have to pull out your phone, like it's... It's a lot. (laughs) 490. Now, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying keep a tally. And at 488, you're like, you have two more. (laughs) He's not saying that. What he's saying is the mercy that you're supposed to express to others because you've received it is unlimited. And some of us have this idea, and maybe some of it's our culture, that like meekness is weakness, that mercy is weakness. Actually, it's a, it's a display of strength. Because when, when you extend mercy, you didn't have to. It's, it's me doing for others what they couldn't do for themselves. Now, Jesus, again, best teacher ever. And he's spoken, by the way, Christian bingo, that was fun. Thank you. I haven't been in church and done that for a while. And so, total joke. I'm just poking at your, your pastor. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> fun church, serious mission, right? So, and I also feel comfortable, so thank you. Uh, so, Jesus teaches in parables. I mean, you know this, but just a reminder, right? A parable is an earthly story that you connect with a heavenly meaning, right? Uh, something that everyone would understand, like, you know, it's been really hot here, so I need to make sure my air conditioning is working, right? Or I was out at the lake, or I sat with a friend the other day, and then Jesus would connect a heavenly meaning to it. So he begins to tell this story, a parable, of a king who had, had loaned out money to lots of people, and now that money's being called back in. And it was, he wasn't mad, he wasn't angry, he was just saying, listen, I loaned you money, and now it's time for it to be paid. The bill is due. And he sets it up with that. And then here's what we we see. Matthew 18, verse 24. It says, in the process, one of his uh, debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Could you imagine owing someone millions of dollars? That's a lot. And he couldn't pay it. So his master ordered that he'd be sold. Now, here's what you need to understand. Him being sold was not just uh, him being sold. It would mean his wife would be sold, his kids would be sold, and he would now become an indentured servant. And what that means is he would be unable to pay back the debt he owed. So this was a perpetual life of essentially slavery. And he was gripped by the gravity of this moment, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned. To do what? To pay back what he couldn't pay. But the man, the man fell down before his master. Could you just, just for a second, think about the gravity of this moment. Decisions we made are going to have an impact on my kids and my wife and, and everyone I know. Everything's going to be taken. And he's feeling the weight of this moment. But he fell down before his master and he begged him, please be patient with me. Please be patient with me. And what does he say? I will pay it back. That his master was filled with mercy. Mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. 
His master was filled with mercy for him and he released him. And listen, he also forgave his debt. So he didn't just say, hey, listen, I'm giving you 48 more months to make this thing right. He says, I'm not only gonna um, forgive the debt, but I release you of any obligation that you have to me now. The king gave to him what he couldn't do for himself. So let me ask this question. What do you do and how do you feel when you're busted? How do you feel? Frustrated, disappointed, full of regret. So I was, I was speaking at a, a school assembly in, in Washington. And this is several years ago. And I finished the assembly. I, I pull out of the, the, the parking lot. I get onto I-5. I lived outside of Seattle at that time. And I'm just driving down the road. And I'm just feeling like high in the moment. I don't mean like legal, but like high, just like, you know, God use me stuff. And so I'm just driving down the road. And I see these blue lights flashing behind me. I'm like, oh, because I care about law enforcement and I honor, I just slide over a lane. That's the right thing to do. And, and he, 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 he slid over too. <laughs> and so like there's four lanes. I was in this one here. I slid over, now I'm in here. And I'm thinking, oh, he's taking the exit. So I'll just slide over one more. And uh, he, he did too. <laughs> and it, it became evident that he was actually wanting to have a conversation with me because he pulled it behind me. And I'm now pulling her in like, eh, roll the window down. And before he can say anything, I, I asked, um, officer, why, do, you know, why did you pull me over? And he says, your tabs are expired. I'm like, oh, come on, Joanne. Just kidding. Totally kidding. I'm playing. I'm playing. It's my job. Okay. It's my job. Okay. <laughs> if you're watching, I'm kidding, babe. Okay. So he, he asked the two questions that you, you know. License and registration, please. So I couldn't click the glove box, grab my registration, which of course is expired, hand it to him. And then, and then he says, um, um, you know, can I get your license? And what I did was I reached over and I grabbed what I thought was my wallet. And my phone, as it turns out, feels a lot like my wallet. And I didn't have my license. So now I'm driving with expired tabs and I'm driving without a license. Now, my license wasn't expired or revoked or anything, but I didn't have it. And they're actually, they want you to. So as I discovered, that's a value that the, the law enforcement has, right? So he goes back to his car and it felt like he was gone for a long time. So I'm thinking he's probably calling him back up, right? The SWAT team's assembling, a black truck is gonna drive up. I'm listening for the, for the helicopter. They're gonna film it, right? I seem kind of shady, right? So he comes back, and you know how it is when you get pulled over, you're just a little bit anxious and tense, okay? Even if you haven't done anything, but I had, right? And so he comes back, and I'm expecting as he approaches the car that he's going to hand me one of those pink or yellow slips that, that, to ticket. Now, I'm a poor youth pastor, and I'm imagining the conversation with Joanne. Like, sweetheart, good news and bad news. Good news, still going to drive my car. Bad news, we're not having groceries for the next month, Right? <laughs> But he gives me um, my expired registration back, and he says this, two things. Number one, get your tabs filled as soon as possible and try to bring your license with you on the next trip. (laughs) I was so prepared to be busted, but he gave me mercy. You You know what I did driving home? I didn't feel like, oh, I got out of it. I felt grateful. I felt gratitude because I had experienced a gift. And that's what mercy is from God, but it's also something we're supposed to give to, to others. So let me ask the question, how do you feel, not just when you've been busted, but when you get mercy? 
Or are, are you so used to mercy that it, it, it becomes devalued? Oh, I'm just used to mercy, so I'm just going to, God's always merciful. But do we recognize we're busted? And God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. So back to the story, okay? When the man left the king, the guy who had been forgiven of a ocean full of obligation, he, he has another guy who owes him a little bit of money, right? So, but when the man left the king, he went to his fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Remember a million before he owed? Now this guy owes him thousands or a few thousand. He grabbed him by the throat and he demanded the payment. Now we can just agree, first of all, the guy's a jerk, okay? And then we see this, his fellow servant does what he had done moments or just days before and he begins to plead with them. And he's like, I, I, don't, I can't pay, I don't have what it takes. Give me what? Mercy, give me patience and I'll pay it back. And it's interesting the, the response of this guy. But his creditor wouldn't wait. And he had the man arrested he put, and put in prison until his debt could be paid in full. Now, before we all go Shrek on this dude with pitchforks and some lanterns to go burn his cottage down, we're part of the story. Because when you think about the mercy God's extended to us, we're the ones who owed millions. Our sin stacks up, but God's mercy covers it. And, and we have someone that God puts in our life. It's usually a coworker or a classmate or a family member. And, you know, they just kind of, it's just rough. It's a little bit like they rub us the wrong way. And, and what we want in those moments is we want, we want mercy, but we don't want to give mercy. And so while we're easy and, and quick to indict this guy, maybe it's a chance for us to invite ourselves to say, what am I doing with the gift of mercy God has given me? And, I, and have I and will I give it to others? It's interesting, in the definition of love, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he, you've maybe heard it at a wedding or you've read through in the scripture. He, he begins to express and articulate what love looks like. And he says this, love is patient and kind. It's not jealous. It's, it's not boastful. It's not uh, proud. It's not rude. It doesn't demand its own way. And it, it's not irritable. And listen, it keeps no record of wrongs. And I'll synthesize it in this way to say, another way to to articulate that is this. In order, giving and receiving of mercy is a prerequisite for experiencing love. You say, I want my life to be marked by love. I want the grace of God, the mercy of God to, to fill my life. I want love to be what sets me apart. Then you have to engage mercy in order to experience love. It is a prerequisite. Well, the word got back to the king that the guy who he had forgiven much is now holding accountable the guy who owed him little. And the king called him the man he had forgiven, and he says this, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king, moments before he was the merciful king, then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until his debt could be paid in full. And almost if, and this is Jesus talking now, almost as if uh, at the end of the story, people are like, oh man, I'm so glad it's not me. And then Jesus adds this little PS, like a little addendum. And here's what he says. That's what my heavenly father will do for you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. What? 
I like the story when the other guy was the bad guy. And this is what Jesus does. He always brings it home. He always puts practical application to it. It's not about going to church, it's about being the church, right? And, and Jesus reminds him, our heavenly father extends to us mercy and grace. He gives us forgiveness. And in order to, to experience it to the full, you have to give it to others. Some of you wonder why this is up here, okay? So here's what we have. We got a container and we got a conduit, right? The, the tension we wrestle with as followers of Jesus is we have received, man, the grace of God, the mercy of God poured into us, and we do contain it. We hold on to it. Oh, God, forgiveness. You gave it to me. I didn't deserve it. You extended mercy. You gave to me what I couldn't give to myself. Oh, I hold on to it. The problem is we're not supposed to keep all of it. We're actually supposed to be conduits of the mercy and the grace and the kindness of God. You say, well, I, there's stuff I just... I just can't let go of. I want, I want God to float to and through me. I want to be a giver of grace. I want to be a giver, a conduit of his love and, the, and just his goodness. But you don't understand the story. You don't know what they did. Pastor, if you, if you knew the details of what he said or she said, and if you understood the pattern of hurt and heartache, you say, I, I want God's, I need it. I want to pour it into me, God. But you also know this, anything that doesn't have an outflow gets stagnant. And you can even receive grace. You can be here, you're watching across all campuses. You can receive God's grace and receive his mercy, but if it stops with you, something's wrong. It's hard to let it out, but you have to. Some of, I get this. Some of you, you're thinking about scenarios right now. We're saying, okay, you're saying I got to give mercy to her? Her? Maybe you're thinking about, uh, and it's almost always in relationships because relationships are the, are, are the equation that, that bring life. They're, they're the currency of healthy, healthy life. That's how God wired us. But you think, God, I, I've got to extend mercy to them? Now, I get this. In a room this big with all these campuses, some of you are right now saying, I'm just not there yet. So let me speak to the I'm not there yet, camp. You say, this part of my life, I just can't let go of. I can't, and I've even tried. I come to the altar. I, I, I come to the Lord in prayer. And I might even do a good job for like 30 minutes on a Sunday where I'm like, Lord, I give this to you. And then when I leave the building, I'll grab it. I'm gonna carry it. Put it back in my backpack. Maybe that's right where you're at right now. So I wanna just, I wanna just pr- propose this. That scenario that you're saying, I can't let go of. I can't extend mercy. I want to, I just, I'm not yet there yet. I want to, I want to invite you to do this. Pause that. Pause it. We're going to come back to it, but pause it. And I want you to pivot in your heart and your spirit to think about how much goodness God has flown and deposited into your life. I want you to think about the grace of God extended to you in Christ Jesus, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The the, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in, through Christ Jesus. And that's what God continues to pour out in in our lives. I want you just to meditate. I want you to ponder. I want you to think about the goodness of God. And here's what happens. When you get back to this scenario, you have a little bit more ammo and a little bit more strength and a little bit more rigidity to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let go. I'm I'm gonna choose forgiveness. You're like, I'm holding on. God, I just think about what you've done. I look at who you are. And instead of just being this right here, 
Instead of just holding tight, God, I don't want to hold it. I, I don't want to be a container of your grace or mercy. I want to be a conduit of it. And I want my life to breathe life into others. I want my family, I want my marriage, I want my kids to see mercy in action. And when I do that, it points people to you. Because it's evident it's not in my strength. It's not in my power. It's not even in my natural tendency to be a mercy and grace giver. But what happens when we go from being a container to a conduit is the gospel begins to perpetually be spread throughout our community. And the place that's most obvious is in your home. Because the home is the hardest place to always give mercy. It's the people closest to you. It's the people where you just kind of walk in and you let your guard down. So I want to just, I want to give us a few specifics of, so like what does being a mercy giver do for us? Extending mercy sets some things in motion in our lives. So here's the first one and it's powerful. It's peace with God. Now, the Bible says this, God gives you peace the world doesn't understand, and that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So, you know, you're talking to a, a coworker about something, and you were like hurt and offended, but then you let him know, you know, I just chose to forgive. I'm choosing mercy. When you talk about that, that person, it sounds different because there's not harshness and hurt. Now it's a, a, a place of peace, and they're like, Man, I don't get that. You should be, you should be hurt. You should be offended. Y'all have one of those friends who are like, man, I'm mad for you. Let's go burn their house down, right? Uh, maybe not that, but, but you know, someone carries that offense for you. What happens though is when you set mercy in motion in your life, it actually allows you to experience peace with God, peace with others, and this is critical, peace with yourself. I want to propose this. Listen, CFC, across all campuses, I, I want to propose some of you, the greatest issues that you're dealing with right now that you think are with others are really with God. And the moment you come to a place of alignment with God and you, you find yourself fully in Christ, you begin to experience freedom in some of these other areas. You and I set some things in motion when we choose mercy. I, I'll say this though, not extending mercy blocks the, the mercy of God from our lives. It, bro- it blocks the power. It literally hinders. It puts a lid on the goodness of God in your home. And I want you to hear this. Parents and grandparents, there is a ripple effect in your life to your kids, your grandkids, and your great-grandkids. So you want to model something? Model mercy. You know what our divided nation needs? A united church. You know what that looks like? Mercy givers. Here's the second thing. You set this in motion when you choose mercy. <laughs> you're a lot more fun to be around. I'm just saying, I know this is, I'm glad you're seated across all campuses. You're more fun to be around when you're merciful. Listen, if you're, and you're like, well, I'm just, this is just how I am. When someone says to me, well, this is just how I am. I go, you know, I kick puppies, but it's just how I am. Of course I don't kick puppies. And you wouldn't go, listen, you can't kick puppies. Look at, they're so cute. Look at this little puppy up here. You can't kick puppies. Now, when I say, well, that's just how I am, that's a cheap excuse, and I'm not letting the goodness of God pour into my life. The grace of God be poured out. I cannot just be a what? Container of God's goodness. And you know what happens when we say, well, that's just how I am? I just contain it. I'm not a conduit of it. 
There's something so beautiful that's evident in this church already. And that's the kindness that marks this, this church. It's the, the, it's the gospel that just, it shows itself through how people interact with each other. This is why I'm not surprised people across all your campuses are coming to find new life in Christ. They're getting baptized. They're finding their purpose and their identity in Christ. They're figuring out what it looks like to serve. Why? Because when you set mercy in motion, you're a lot more fun to be around. And the church gets a beautiful picture rather than a black eye. You might think, I don't really have much to offer. You bet you do. Live a life of mercy. And you'll set in motion in your relationships a picture of the goodness of God. You know what you are? You are supposed to not necessarily just be a a, a thermostat or a thermometer. A thermometer does what? It measures temperature. A thermostat sets it. And when you come into a church and there's already a temperature and you you being here adds to it, it actually complements it. But you know what you got to do when you leave here? You got to be a thermostat and set the temperature in your relationships, in your home. And mercy sets the temperature. You're just a lot more fun to be around. Listen, why were people drawn to Jesus? There was something that marked him. Now, initially they're like, I might get healed. I might get free lunch, right? But then when they're with him, their hearts were caught on fire. And it was because he's about to be the picture of mercy for all of humanity. And we get to join him on that mission. Here's the last. When you set mercy in motion in your life, extending mercy does this. We reflect Christ's character. And I already said it, but in a world that's divided, in a community that can have tension and heartache, bringing the character of Christ, the presence and the power of Jesus with you, it changes everything. I want to ask you this though, like non-scientific poll, how many of you have a good memory? Let me raise your hand. Across all campuses, let me raise your hand. You have a good memory. Raise your hand. Oroville, come on. Boise, Caldwell, Slavic, you have a good memory. How many of you say I have a bad memory? Okay. How many of you don't remember the question? Okay. Here's what happens. You're followers of Jesus. But I think sometimes we do it. We hold on to stuff we should let go of. And then we let go of stuff we should hold on to. We say, I'm choosing Mercy but not in this scenario. And we've got to make sure that we hold on to the stuff God wants us to hold on to. And we let go of those things we need to let go of. A friend of mine said this, and I thought it was powerful. Many people find Jesus, but few people follow Jesus. And there's a difference between knowing about and knowing. And you set in motion an intimacy and a closeness and a Christ-likeness in your life when you choose mercy. Father, forgive them, Jesus said, for they know not what they do. You know how he could do that? Because of what was already in him. I want to finish with a couple questions. Here's the questions. First one is this. Have you received God's mercy? Have you received it? There's a difference between going to church and being a part of the church. There's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. And here's what the scripture says. God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. The Bible tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us 
and to purify us from all brokenness, all unrighteousness. And righteousness means this, it's right standing with God. Outside of Christ, there's no right relationship with God. And you might be here across all of the campus and you say, listen, if you, Jeffrey, if you knew my story, I forfeited God's favor. And I want you to hear this. You're not that great. You're not that powerful. Only God can set in motion mercy and grace. And I, I just, I feel like someone needs to hear this today. Some of you, you're looking at your life and it's like a book. And, and the chapter that you're in right now is messy and it's broken. It's full of heartache. And I want you to hear this. I believe in this moment, when you make this decision to surrender your life or re-surrender your life to Christ, God's going to put a period, he's going to turn the page, and he's going to write the next chapter. And that's the new life in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. There's a true story. It came from, from the book, Miracle on the River Kwai. And almost at the very tail end of World War II, but before the, the camp was liberated, there were Scottish prisoners of war who were building a bridge for uh, a, a Japanese, the Japanese army. And the conditions in the camp were barbaric. The value of human life had been lost. There was infighting, people are stealing from one another. It was, it was, a, it was the, the most inhumane of conditions. And each day before they moved from, to the next station, they would count up all of the tools, all of the equipment to make sure, of course, that nothing was stolen or hidden for use later. So the Japanese guard gathers them and, and has them count up all of the tools. And it was discovered that one shovel was missing. Well, this guard is irate. He's at the end of his rope. Everyone's, it's just a broken circumstance. And he says, listen, Unless the person who stole the shovel steps forward, I'm going to shoot every one of you. And they actually believed him. It was that, that sort of circumstance. And there's a long pause. And finally, one of the prisoners of war steps forward. And they're assuming he was going to get shot by this guard. But instead of shooting him, the guard beat him to death with a shovel. The point was clear. They move on to the next part of the bridge they're working on. At the end of that time of working, just like they'd done before, they come back and they count all of the equipment, they count all of the tools, and here's what they discovered. They had been off on their count on the first stop. There was no shovel missing. The conditions in the camp begin to change immediately because someone had sacrificed himself for the good of the whole. Not long after this, this story takes place, the, the allies came in and they liberated this camp. And this was this question at time of lawlessness of, okay, now that we're in charge, now that I have the hammer in my hand, what am I, what am I gonna do with the, the guards who have been treating me like animals? And initially it thought, they thought, well, we're gonna just do what we wanted to do for a long time to these guards because we can now. But to a man, here is the theme that began to, to emerge. This is a time for mercy. We're going to give to them what they can't give for themselves. And it's interesting, the gospel is this story that one man st stepped forward for all of humanity. And God did, through Christ, what we can't do for ourselves. 
Listen, you can't earn love. You can't earn salvation, but you can experience it. And across all of our campuses, I want to invite you just what what I would say, just to create in this moment, a space for grace. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And listen, there's no magic in my words. Okay, in a moment, your, your campus pastors are going to come up and they're going to pass through this moment. But I want to lead you in a moment of salvation. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. And if you say, listen, I feel like I have all these, there's absolutely no, nothing can hinder you from the love of God if you recognize your need for a savior. The Bible says repent and be baptized. So I want to invite you across this, this entire campus and all who are watching If you want to join me, you can close your eyes, whatever, create space for grace. If you say, Jeffrey, I want today to surrender my life to Christ. I want to experience the mercy. I want what what God to give me what I can't give for myself. I need freedom in Christ. I need need forgiveness of my sins. And I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me simply. You can pray something like this. Jesus, I recognize my need for you. I can't rescue myself. I can't heal my heart. So today I turn to you and I repent of my sins. I repent of my selfishness. God, I lay down my plan and my agenda and I surrender my life to you. Today I choose to follow you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. For, for those of you that have made that decision, you, the Bible says you go from death to life. Your life goes from hopeless to hopeful. And if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Last question and I close. You see the, the question on the board. You are a conduit or a carrier. Some of us say, I've been a container for too long. And today I'm going to answer the question, who will I extend mercy to? And it might be a conversation that you say, I've had to have this conversation for years. And I've fought it, I've avoided it, I've even maybe tried it. And I want to invite you back to that place, knowing the Holy Spirit will go before you. Listen, the mission of this church is too great to be limited by a moment where mercy isn't put in action. Lord, I pray for strength for each of those across every campus who's asking the question, who and how will I show mercy to others? Lord, I thank you that the story you're writing is a story marked by grace and mercy. And Lord, you said this, in our weakness, you are strong. So strengthen them as they prepare to to initiate that conversation. And Lord, I pray for the mission of Christian Faith Center. I pray for the dreams that already have come to fruition, Lord, that there would continue to be health and vibrancy. I pray for wisdom for the leadership team. But God, I also know that the mission is not limited to what already is, but where you're taking them is a place of faith, a place of courage. And Lord, because of that, the the transformation of communities will be experienced. Homes will be restored. Kids and teens will find hope and new life in Christ. And Lord, we pray in agreement that the days ahead of them are greater than the days behind them across all their campuses. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.